when I had come down this hill, I had seen this creature cross the road. They would have ripped my locked door from my truck, extracted me from my vehicle, and there wouldn't have been a damn thing I could have done about it. This thing, I got to notice in its eyes. Its eyes was real, real evil, real sinister looking. You know, the look it was giving me. Welcome to Bigfoot Hotspot Radio, Sasquatch Chronicles. I'm your host, Wes, along with my brother, Woody, and researcher, author, and friend, William Jeffy. Let's start the show. The tip line, 800-FIND-KID, a.k.a. 800-346-3543, straight to Rupa Michelinani, our producer there at the Newburgh Police Department. Where is this boy? The story doesn't make sense to me. The family of a missing Bayswater man is fearing the worst after a month-long police search failed to find any trace of him. The 26-year-old's mother today made an emotional plea for help. Claire Grantham reports. The other part of that is that uh, in earlier books, there have been an abnormal amount of people that have disappeared in areas where the name Devil appears in the geographical location. Devil's Lookout, Devil's Mountain, Devil Lakes. It just seems like an abnormal amount and too many coincidences to just ignore it. on the show, I wanted to talk about missing people, specifically cases of missing people that involve strange occurrences and encounters. And we have several encounters for you, for everyone tonight, all of our listeners, and a lot of creepy stories. Before we actually jump into the encounters, I wanted to, we were sent kind of a strange encounter from Texas involving a 15-year-old boy. Will, do you want to, do you want to tell the audience about that encounter? Yeah, I was sent anonymously. Um what what the situation was was a teenage boy uh was riding his bike home one evening and just a few days ago and this particular road that he was riding his ten speed on is only sparsely lit by street lights uh, it's probably you know one of those areas where uh they don't put the lights out there because 
of the cost, and it's only at safety points where they do like curves in the road, things like that. So he didn't really hear anything, but he got the feeling that he was being watched. So he stopped his bike and he turned around and he said, 15 to 20 feet behind him was this gorilla. So it really scared him because of the size and everything. So he tried to take off on his bike. And by that time, the thing had grabbed the back of his bike and with such force that he was thrown over the handlebars off the bike. And when he got up, the thing was staring at him and it was flexing its lips up and down, showing his teeth. Well, he took off running, called the authorities who responded. And uh, during the course of the questioning, you know, the kid repeated that what he what he saw was a gorilla and he and he didn't realize they got that big so they took him out to uh, the location where this he said this happened and they found his 10 speed bent the frame was bent and 10 feet up a tree so i was a little curious about the um the lip flexing behavior i hadn't really heard that usually we we hear uh reports when people talk about seeing them do something with their mouths uh, it's usually showing it their teeth. Well, he did, and he did say, after a little, uh, some clarification, that it did show its teeth when it was flexing its lips up and down. So I contacted our anthropologist friend, Mark Dobbs, and asked him about that. And he said, uh, this is one of those compelling little clues that tells me that a hoax is unlikely. He says, primates, especially old world monkeys and the great apes, uh, have very large canines that are used primarily as weapons uh, when fighting over females or protecting territories in order to scare off competing males. Uh, and he says, since scaring them away is safer than actually fighting, which is true in the animal kingdom. You know, if, if an animal gets in a fight with another animal, one or both creatures could wind up dead. Uh, so trying to scare off an enemy or a rival is much preferred. He says, males will often do what's termed a lip flip at each other. The lip flip bears the canines, thus showing their size, warding off the rival. And he says that if someone told me that a large non-human hominid threatened someone, I would be expecting to hear that its lips were flexing up and down, which is exactly what we had in this case. And on, on a little bit of a side note on that, I contacted our friend Mr. Black, and I know everybody likes to hear uh, when Mr. Black has something to say. And I, I wanted to get some clarification about, because we hear different accounts where people say, the creature they encountered had large canines and some didn't. So through the course of our conversation back and forth, I said, well, what you're saying is the type one Patterson type Sasquatch and the type fours have square teeth more like ours and not the large canines and the type twos and threes do have the large canines. And he said, absolutely correct. Um, and a little clarification on the, um, and so what I was getting around to there was the, uh, what, what happened there was, uh, this young man encountered, uh, he he thinks a type 3. And I still need to do some clarification on that because I thought it was a type 2. But aside from that, the type 4s that people keep emailing asking about, he did give me a little more clarification on the type 4s. The type 4s are smaller than the other type types. They're, they're still hair covered. He said the diff main difference is the face, uh, very much more human-like and is hairless generally, but larger. Uh, he, he keeps giving me little tidbits, which are interesting, but uh, I wanted to share that with the listeners. Yeah, it makes you wonder why it chases this kid down on his bike, and he said it was, what, a foot taller than him, and it was on all fours? 
Right. Mm. The, kit, the thing was on all fours, and he said it sounded like it was winded, but that may have been just the way it was breathing. It was on all fours. The kid is 5'11", and it was a good foot taller than him on all fours. So you're talking 10, 12 feet when it's standing on two legs. That's mad. Oh, my goodness. That's kind of a dick move, even for a primate, to chase a kid down, yank him off his bike, <laughs> right. bend his bike, and throw it 10 feet up in the air on a tree. And It makes you wonder you why know, he my, did that. Why not just attack my, my immediate, Right. My immediate thought was like, you know how sometimes you'll be riding a bike somewhere, and and for some reason it it'll tick a dog off. It's not necessarily the person on the bike, but it whatever the bike is doing, the dog doesn't like it. They'll bite it at the tires and such. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, maybe for whatever reason, maybe the bike pissed this thing off. You know, it didn't care about the kid so much, mm-hmm. but it really got ticked off at the bike. Now, the, when they when they pulled the bike down, uh, there was a little blood on the back of it apparently where this thing had grabbed it. So maybe that's why it bent the bike and threw it up on the tree. I I don't know. Oh. But there wasn't. And in that case, everybody's going to say, well, how come they didn't do DNA test? Well, you know, with law enforcement, it either has to be uh, some kind of a, a legal violation uh, or, and, and the cost of the consideration too, because it's thousands of dollars for a DNA test. So, you know, it, it's just not something that's warranted by law in those cases. I'm certain. Poor Gosh, kid. What a that's a terrible encounter. He it was yeah, very traumatizing. Yeah. We gotta get we gotta get that kid on the show. Yeah. I'd love to hear that story firsthand. Poor guy. Had to go through that and then his his bike's wrecked and ten feet up a tree. That's terrible. Yeah. I know there's a lot of uh you know, in the missing four one one books, there's a lot of strange encounters. If you guys and I know probably a lot of our audience is aware of the missing 411 books, but as you read through the encounters, there's a lot of strange disappearances. And a lot of the disappearances, people are either found dead or alive, and they're missing all their clothes, and they're missing their shoes. And when I first heard that, I thought, you know, that's really odd behavior. I wonder why they take their clothes off. I wonder why they're finding these people, you know, miles away from where they're abducted. Missing all their clothes and shoes. And I came across a story in Southeast Asia. And I'm going to tell you this story before I play the encounter. Just so everyone understands, this isn't like flute player magic stuff. In Southeast Asia, this group was out in the forest. The main person in the group was ahead of the group by about 20, 30 feet. And they're walking through the forest. And they hear growling from a tiger. The main guy that it was directed to that was ahead of everyone on the trail. He started walking towards the growling and it wasn't until everyone grabbed him and pulled him back and basically got him out of whatever he was, whatever he was doing said, Hey, what, you know, what are you, why are you going towards the growl? And he claims he never heard the growl. He said he felt really hot and he felt kind of euphoric, like happy. And he never heard the growl from this tiger. And we know that tigers give off infrasound. We talked about it on a show Gosh, I think it was like episode seven. We talked about infrasound. But I tell you that story to keep that in mind when you listen to this encounter. This is an interview we did earlier in the week uh, with a gentleman by the name of Gord. And it's the strangest encounter story I've ever heard. But take a listen. Okay, well, I'm a mountain biker. I competed. I'm medalist. All the history goes back, but it keeps me training 
at altitude all the time, and nobody would ride with me, so I was always alone. And I always heard the screeches. I always thought they were a raven. I describe it as some witch yelling at me from the hillside. But I always thought ravens and never, ever came to me until I heard one recording you guys have on your show. So I went, whoa, wait a minute. And I started just just listening to the show. That's what happened was because of the Survivor Man thing. But other than that, Bigfoot was absolutely not a part of my life, vocabulary or anything. I rode mountains, I swear, 100,000 kilometers. And I've been face to face with bears, cougars twice. I almost hit one on my bike. It was so close. And not once did I ever smell a thing when I was close to them, but I always smelled that horrible stink of dead, wet dog, but never saw a thing. And then when that smithench came out in the stories that I was hearing on your show, then it just, it's, it snowballed into this avalanche right now while we're on the phone. So basically, I started riding Mist Creek. It was a trail I heard about. We had to get going on this one. And it was an exciting backcountry. It's about a two-hour drive from Calgary. When we got there, it was ugly day. It was cold. It had snowed about eight days prior and wasn't warm enough to melt the higher elevations. But low, it was, it was a lot of water on the ground, a lot of mud, and a lot of puddles. So when we got up to what we call Rickards Pass, it's about a 30-degree hike. It's not a bike ride. It's a hike. We, I got to the top first, and I just noted the views. I went crazy with my camera for about 20 minutes waiting for everybody. I didn't see a thing. There was nothing up there with me. And when Dave, the last guy, got up there, he goes, I smell a bear. Let's get out of here. So we all just jumped on our bikes and downhilled. I went first, and of course, I'm separated from these guys because Dave's not an inter He's an intermediate rider. So I get through this creek about halfway down the mountain, and one thing about mountain bikers we have, we don't like touching that ground. If I can ride a mountain without touching my foot on it, I'm that's a good day for me. So when I stopped and put my foot down, and just stopped in this spot. I don't know why I did that. It was a spot I would have never stopped. It wasn't where it was anything tough to ride. Usually, if that's the case, I'll try it anyways. If I miss it three times, then I walk it. But that, I stopped, and instantly I started hearing something to my left. It was loud, but it just kind of blanked out on me. I started just thinking water. I said, that, that sounds like water to me. But really what I was hearing was swaying, deep, loud, nasty growling right to my left. It was about 10 feet into the bush. And there's no way it was uphill for me. But when I went back there, that spot, it goes downhill. So whatever it was, was either in a tree swaying back and forth, or it was above me swaying back and forth growling but i just remember going it's water i instantly overheated and started to undress that's all i know i got halfway up my clothes the only thing i was left in was a soaking wet short sleeve jersey my friends came down it was a five degree four or five degrees celsius day which 
you know, Fahrenheit comes to about 42 degrees, maybe. And it's, it's not a warm day, especially when you're soaking wet and sweaty clothes from climbing for five hours. I was soaking wet. They came up to me and said, what are you doing? And that splash, when Dave went through that water, I realized something. And I went, whoa, there's growling. That's when I remembered that growling instantly when that splash woke me out of my peaceful little slumber next to a watering hole somewhere in Oasis land because I was not there. I have no recollection of the time I stood there, but that growling, whatever it was, I totally disregarded it and just started stripping my clothes off for no reason. Uh, Shannon asked me, yeah, I probably would have been naked had I not had a small pack that wouldn't fit my coat because I was struggling trying to get the coat in that pack. An impossible feat. The coat was huge. There's no way it would fit in that pack. So they said, whatever. Dave said bullshit. He called bullshit right away about me saying about the growl because he goes, you're just trying to scare me. I'm tired of this. I've done this all day. I've had enough. And Lori looks over at him and goes, I believe him because I've never caught the guy on a downhill. And he looked at me like, and I went, yeah, I'm not joking, because he could see that I was white. My whole color had dropped. My eyes must have popped out of my head when I realized there was growling, not even 10 feet. Now, the bush was so dense, you couldn't see 10 feet in. It was that deep. And I swear it was probably about halfway down Mist Creek Trail. We got about 10, 15 minute more ride, and we saw these footprints that I instantly assumed bear. I looked at them. I said, yeah, they're huge. I put my foot down to see how fresh they were. They were there a second before we showed up. They had to be. They were that fresh because the mud was just just melting and the their trail was untouched for the entire week because that eight-day snow melt, there wasn't a single mark on the trails. We were the only humans that had been out there all week. And those footprints, now that I thought about it, did not have claws. Grizzlies have claws, but they were three inches bigger than my feet. The only thing I remembered when I got home to my kid and I said, Corey, you should have heard about the trip. We saw bear tracks that were three inches bigger than my feet. I measured those exact shoes. They're 12 and a half inches long. That's almost 15 inches long. I don't know if Grizzly have 15 inch crints, but that's what was on the trail. And we totally disregarded it because like I said, Sasquatch was not even in my thought process in my lifetime until you guys showed up in my life. And that's really about it. Strange, right? I'll play part two of three, and then I'll get your feedback, Shannon, I will. And for the callers who called in, uh, hold tight. We'll try to take a few of your calls tonight. I, I said, I thought, I instantly overheated. That's exactly what I remember. I was going, oh, God, I'm hot. And I just assumed that the noise, it turned into the sound of like a fountain gentle water flowing and warmth that's the only way i can describe it and overheating i was too hot i had to get out of those clothes and that's what crazy is i instantly when they said what wtf i started shivering when i got out of that slumber i was like holy crap what am i doing myself i was instantly cold and i had like you know putting on those ice cold clothes after because they were soaking wet you know i got pictures of the mud on my bike from that day it's 
it was a nasty day. It was one of the horrible days you had to stop at creeks and clean your bike. And the creeks from the meltwater, your feet burned for 30 minutes after you went through them. And you had 22 of those crossings to start the day. So right. it was one of those days. And I can't explain it is the, I remember the growling later on in my lifetime, but I just assumed that must have been a bear. There's like, cause seriously, I, and I still will never know what that was, but the loud sound I can attribute to exact sound is your infrasound episode. I, I had listened to it and just sort of pondered it when I went through it months back, but when this started coming to light as we've been piecing it together because it was almost, it, it almost fell together the way we've been working with Shannon and me when we've been messaging back and forth with this story because I found it odd that I was just doing that. Why did I take my clothes down, right? It's, and that's the thing. It's like, you don't know. And I can only describe it as instead of being totally terrified, it's something that possibly might be ripping me apart and eating me. I just decided that everything was fine and I could have a relaxing afternoon next to a little watering hole. And and we almost came to this conclusion, like that thing was aiming it at me. And when I heard your infrasound episode this week, when I listened to it again, that that YouTube video with the British gentleman talking on about it, that growl of the Bengal tiger was exactly similar to what was coming out of the woods at me. And when I heard that, it's almost like I couldn't understand it, describe it, and it would be wimpy to even say this, but if I had gone through some shelling in, say, um, a bombing area, and then every time I heard bombs going off, I, I, I attribute it to a car accident. I heard one song. I don't know if you know Detroit Rock City where the screech and the crash ends the song. But when my ha accident on the highway in 1991 ended with a screech and a serious accident, I heard that song. I had to stop because it just, it effed me up. The, the post-traumatic stress from that accident. And that's right. what that growl did to me. When I heard it from your episode this week, it just went, I went, holy crap. And then parts of it came over that maybe what it was, was whatever it was, because I was going up that mountain and this was one of my first trips deep into the woods. I was hooting and hollering and going, yahoo, all the way up just to sort of get rid of any cats because I was worried about cougars. Bears don't bug me. The cougars will stalk you. But whatever, when I was up top, I didn't see or hear a damn thing. And Dave goes, I smell it. And when you smell it, you're close. It's got to be. But right. where was it? Where was it? It was up top with me, but it was there. But it was hiding? Cougar may be hiding in the, I don't know, blending in. But something, whatever it was, I got pictures and there's two peaks. I was on both of them the whole time. I took pictures of the whole area. My had one of those panning cameras. I would have got the entire area, but there was nothing up there with me. So whatever might have been there was maybe hiding. I don't know. Then I'm going down. Maybe it's set in the trap. Because the guy had mentioned too, 
I said, I don't care. I'm the fast guy. I'm always there first. And the guy goes, yeah, but he's the one who runs into the trap first. So I'm wondering, you go through the water and it's almost like a spot where they know you're going. And that would be where I would send my animals if I had my buddies waiting for them. So this kind of just sort of, I was going, whatever it is, this has to do with infrasound. I don't know if it was a monster or a cat or a bear, but that growling turned me into a stripper. That's all I can say. Strange, right? Yeah, yeah. you know, there were two two things that really struck me on that. The first thing was the noise he made going up the mountain. I mean, he was announcing their presence. So it's possible that the group of Sasquatches were there, heard that, and maybe they did set up an ambush. And when he was the first one that entered that kill zone, basically, they hit him with the sounds. It's not right. out of the question. They can use infrasound. Yeah, I'm kind of on the fence well, with infrasound. You know, Gord is a guy that's won gold medals in long-distance marathons on mountains, and he prides himself on his friends can't catch him on a downhill, and he's always the first one to the car. Um, so it was a big deal for him even to stop where he did. That's why he's so confused as to why he did that in the first place. He never stops. Yeah, I'm kind of with you, Wes. On the, I'm on the fence on infrasound. But Mark Dobbs did say that, you know, infrasound is something that, you know, a lot is left to be known about it. So it's still still one of those kind of new things that they're they're learning about. And our friend Mr. Black did tell me that the powers that be that he was involved with, and he knew this one, one particular individual who was involved in studying a couple of the corpses, at least a couple that they had in dissecting them, and he said that they did find that those particular ones had what appeared to be like a second set of vocal cords. So, you know, infrasound is not out of the question. I, I'm on the fence with you on that one. I don't know. But at least it's in the realm of possibility. Yeah, it definitely makes you think the possibility that they might have infrasound when you listen to Gord's account. Mm-hmm. And then you hear all these yeah, things sure on one people. You know, why do they take their clothes off? You know, in conditions you wouldn't normally take your clothes and shoes off. Yeah, it definitely had some kind of a weird psychological impact. I mean, with you guys' encounter, maybe you guys just got hit with a different, you know, volume or level or however that works, and you guys had a different reaction to it. And it's probably a good thing that you and Woody weren't stripping. Right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Where's Woody when we need him? (laughs) Right? Yeah, probably better for everyone involved, including the Sasquatch. <laughs> well, I'll play part three, and then I want to play the uh, the goat lady encounter. I can't wait to play that one, but I'll finish up yeah. with Gord's account. Yeah, can, I was uh, happy. I was like, oh, my God, I'm just, I'm here. I'm packing for Paris, dudes. Right. And that was the thing. And I also, the confusion, I said, go. I let the guys lead, and if you know me, if you've ever ridden a bike with me, you know that's not me. I was not me. (laughs) That was the rest of the trip. I just said, go ahead, guys. I was effed up for the rest of the day, and I don't remember how long I stood there because I had three layers off and two layers were folded up neatly and packed, and then the third one I was folded up, but it wasn't getting packed because I was struggling with it. What the hell, you know? And, and but if Gord, you took your helmet oh, off as well, correct? 
Yeah, I had that off too and my gloves. So I was standing there in a short sleeves, pair of shorts and shoes. I was getting ready to yeah, I was do I was auditioning for Chippendales, man. It was <laughs> and I'm in the middle of a ten hour ice cold day. Yeah, it's that that was that's the thing. But the but what makes me question the whole thing about that a being a predator is those footprints we never really we just sort of went, Okay, whatever. We're so tired. This was about eight eight hours in, we had climbed up the mountain twice because we missed a trail and went up the wrong one. But Dave, when he rode past, and I don't care if that thing kills me, we just sort of, okay, haha, and, and he rode right through the prints and they were gone. But they were big. They were three inches bigger than my feet. And I've seen a lot of grizzly prints since then. I've met a lot of bears since then, probably about 15 close encounters, three with cubs three were actually one where the the bear was charging us and we didn't know what it was doing we thought it was running away because it was sort of on a trail taking it away from us so we ran up it didn't it it figured its charge was becoming not a bluff anymore and we realized it was a mama bear she ran up to the tree and pulled her babies out we got pictures of her walking away with them and getting her out of the tree but i've never smelled that stink ever so I've been sort of looking around, and a lot of the areas I'm in, if you guys ever come up to this part of the world, um, it's Bow Valley. Check out the um, Alberta Sasquatch reports. There's been some interesting stuff, and these are places I've gone thousands of times. Minnewaka, it's been called ghost for for hundreds of millennia because of the Nakoda nations. They never went in there because of the cannibals. So it's interesting. Our area's got a history of it, and I'm kind of now jumping on the bandwagon with you guys about this because I want to know what it was that day myself. Cord, you may not know the answer to this, but while you were taking off your clothes and your helmet and your jacket, was was there a goal in mind? Like, did you already know that once you were undressed, you were going to walk somewhere? Like, were you trying to walk towards the, you know, the so-called water sound? I have no idea. And I've never even thought of that because what it would have been doing is if I would have just normally been doing exactly what I've been doing, I would have jumped on a bike and been doing another 40 kilometers an hour in 42 Fahrenheit weather. I would have been freezing cold. I would have probably been about a minus two wind chill and hypothermic by the time I got down the mountain if I was in that slumber still. And who knows, um, whatever it was, was there. And I was disturbed out of it. I was woken out of it because when that splash came, that's when I went, wait a minute, listen, guys. And they went, what? Listen, what are you doing? And I said, listen, there's growling next to me here. And Dave said, bullshit, you're just trying to scare me. That was his instant reaction because he called, he said, liar, instantly liar. And Lori said, I don't know, but I don't know either. Why was I undressing? I will never know. But I, and just that is the water, flowing, warm water. That's all I remember. I want to thank Gord for coming on the show and sharing that encounter. Very fascinating account. I think uh, Flycatch nailed it in the in our chat room. He said we humans are easy prey, and 
I, I mean, I don't know how else to sum it up. On the next encounter, I want to share with the audience, this is John from Oregon. And John had an encounter back in the 40s. And as you listen to this, pay close attention to what he says the Sasquatch is carrying. You had an encounter back around 1949, is that correct? Yeah, yeah. E either late 49 or early 50, I think. Now, the subject of Bigfoot wasn't really widely known at that time. Uh, so I guess kind of tell us about what was happening and, and what led into that experience. Well, the only thing I know is that uh, uh, I was driving down the road on a cold and wet night. It was raining and in along by Beaver Falls between Rainier and Klatka and I was going around a turn to the right and I just got a glimpse of something big. It looked to be very large and hairy with uh, something hanging under its left arm with uh, white hair hanging down. And it was in, it was pretty tall because it was in bushes. It was, well, you know, breaks in the bushes. I could see the hair go down quite a ways, but uh, the white hair in the light of the car. But the car was swinging to the right, so it was only, you know, just a few seconds that I saw whatever it was that I saw. And it was raining, and uh, so I... It kind of kind of spooked me seeing something that big, and I knew there was a cabin there where this old uh, goat lady that uh, us kids called her, because she had uh, goats and milked the goats for goat milk for kids that couldn't have cow's milk, I guess. And anyway, I just went around the corner and and it kind of spooked me a little bit, and uh, that that was all I saw was just that that glimpse of it was probably. 50, 75 feet uh, off the road in the bushes with the uh, larger trees in the background behind it. And that's about all there was to it. What, what was your impression at the time of what it had under its arm? I really didn't know. It, it was, it, it, uh, I couldn't tell. It just looked like something, you know, long and white and hanging down. It looked like long white hair. I never thought anything of it at the time, that part of it, other than whatever it was, was looked like it was big and hairy. <laughs> and uh, and that was when I thought, you know, my old fort don't fail me now. I want to go home. <laughs> this was in the middle of the night when uh, it was after the dance at, the dance at Beaver Homes and I was on the way home and by myself and my little 34 Ford and uh, I just wanted, I just saw that as I went around the corner and thought, man, that was a spooky looking thing and never thought too much of it other than that. And and then a few days later, or a day or two later, uh, they said that, that uh, the, the goat lady, I don't remember her name now, but the kids always called her the goat lady because she had the, the goats. And uh, she came up, disappeared. And as far as I know, they never... I never did hear any solution to that mystery. And and then a few days later, or about that same time, uh, in that same time frame, there was a guy up over the ridge towards Delina from Beaver Falls. Uh, uh, they 
they found his head in the yard with his dog guarding it, and they said, uh, and his body was in the house, and they said that the uh, the dog's teeth marks did not match those that chewed his head off. So, oh wow, I never heard any any resolve on that either. But as I remember, both of those things were in the Claskenai uh, Chief, uh, the paper, the weekly paper there at Claskenai. And there's, those two events were fairly close to one another, weren't they? Yeah, they were, I would guess they were within several weeks of each other. And then there was, then there was one other incident that, so well, I got to talking with Joanne about some of these crazy things and, and, uh, there was a bunch of kids swimming at Beaver Falls right where this goat lady's cabin was, house. And, uh, it's all gone now, but they were up there swimming and they, uh, and one gal sitting on a picnic table let a scream out of her and they went running up from the swimming hole to see what she was hollering about. And evidently she was looking, heard something or for some reason or other looked over towards the bushes from a picnic table she was sitting on. And here was this big hairy thing looking at her through the bushes and when she screamed, it let the it let the branches back covering its face and disappeared. And when they got there, she was hysterical and couldn't talk. And and uh, then she went. They took her to Klatskanai, and they went into Brock's confectionery and had a coke, I guess, or something. That finally got her settled down. And she and that's when she finally told him what she saw that scared her half to death. And uh. <clears throat> I, I don't remember if that incident was before or after. I really don't. But uh, all of those kids that were swimming that day were, I don't know, a few years, two or three years older than me. But they, I knew who they were. You know, the whole everybody in a small town like that knows everybody anyway. Right, right. <clears throat> all of those things all occurred in that same same area about that same time. Uh, like I say, last half of 49, first half of 50, maybe, something like that. Did, it, did the people around there talk about this kind of thing much to one another, or was it just something that was kept quiet? Well, I didn't, never had much occasion to talk to anybody about it, but when people would bring up Bigfoot or whether they believed in it or not, why, uh, you know, if they're pretty radical, I never said anything. If they were uh, kind of open-minded about it, I might mentioned what I thought I saw, but uh, I've always admitted I I don't know what it was. All I know is what I, I think I saw. And then, like, I never put together that that was the old goat lady, but after she ended up disappeared, then I got to thinking back what the heck was underneath his arm, you know, hanging down. That could have been her white hair, you know, hanging down, because she had hair clear to her butt. She had long hair, as I recall, way back then. Yeah, I think it's pretty tough for a lot of people who, you know, maybe not know anything about the subject and see something and then kind of go back later and say, well, geez, maybe this is what I saw. Well, that's kind of the way I look at it, but uh, I know I know what I thought it was, you know, like it was something big and hairy, and uh, I couldn't see any features of its uh face or color it was just dark you know and dark colored in the headlights because 
I don't even think I had seal beam headlights on that old car at that time. I think I probably put them on later. <laughs> Maybe partly because of that. I don't know. <laughs> that would be good inspiration. <laughs> yeah, it would have been for me. <laughs> I'm so glad you guys got mics. Yes, it's awesome. <laughs> It'd be interesting to go back to the newspaper that he mentioned, uh, the Clatskanie Chief, and see if there's anything in libraries, you know, any of those articles that are still around maybe. Sure yeah. would. I mean, especially one of the, I mean, that encounter where the head was separated from the body, it's, I mean, that's super violent. And if that was, in fact, the goat lady, then they have a serious, they had a serious problem in that area. So, you know, I was going to mention about something else about Gord's encounter when he talked about the natives saying that the Indians, they, they did not go into that area because of the cannibals. That's identical mm-hmm. to the Mount St. Helens area. That's what the Indians in that area said also. 954, you're on the air. Who are we speaking with? Uh, my name's Pete. Hey, Pete. I just got a quick question. Well, actually, not really a quick question, but I want to. I wanted to run something by Will and uh, get his opinion. I, I he, listening to him, it seems to to me that he uh, really knows what he's talking about when it comes to this subject. So I just want to run an idea by him and you know let him either take it apart or see what he says. But my my question is for what is the primary goal? of your research into this subject. Hi, Pete. Um, Hi. I, I guess, that, you know, if you were going to, in a one-sentence uh, answer would be to prove that these things are real. Okay. Okay. So then my next question would be, I, I've heard you say that they fear us. Is that is that true? For the most part, yeah. I think they're very wary of us because we're a dangerous species. Okay. And I'm sure now, that in, in remote past, we've had a lot of conflicts with them. Okay. Well, let me ask you this. What would your opinion be if maybe what we should try to do is to make them fear us less? Do you suggest against that or, or no? Well, first of all, I don't know how you do that. And secondly, I don't know that it would do any good, to be honest. Okay. Well, that's where my idea comes in, and I, and I would just want to run this by you. In the past, I've heard that they've conducted experiments um, with alleged recordings of Sasquatch with other primates. Are you familiar with those? I'm not, no. Oh, okay. Well, I've seen it on a documentary where they played, uh, I guess, recordings to of the of the howling to like rhesus monkeys, and their reactions were were very interesting. So. My idea is, and, and, and like I said, this is, I'm just throwing this out there because I'm, I, I, the way I see it, if you want to prove this, it's like we, we have to get creative in, in our approach. And they, these things seem to me spot, uh, pretty smart. So my, my idea is, what if we took it to, like, to the next level? And what if, I mean, if you're, if you're out in an area in the woods that you know has, uh, you know, reported several sightings or interactions or whatever with these things. What if, I mean, if you're, if you're out there, you have to assume that you're probably being watched and maybe we might be able to use that to our advantage. And, and that what if we were to go out there with say another primate 
in tow. Like, you know, I'm sure you've heard of Coco the gorilla that uses sign language. So it's it's not impossible to have a trained primate. I mean, I know this sounds crazy, but if we if we could be in the woods with another primate that that shows that we can interact with another species peace, peacefully and and you know playfully and sh- let them see uh, this is this is a two-pronged thing that that a we can coexist or get along and while we're the, while this experiment is happening you can a gauge the reactions of whatever the unknown is in the woods and b gauge the reaction of the primate that you have with you and and i mean I, do you think this is a crazy idea or i mean what do you think well the problem is there's so many unknowns you know from one group of these creatures to the next and then we're talking four different types species right. if you will or subspecies i mean there's all kinds of factors to uh to consider you know they might look at the other primates you bring out a chimp or whatever and think that's just another meal um, oh. or not have anything to do with you at all. It's really difficult to tell. I mean, it's it's not, you'd have to have a controlled environment. I'm sure any, any reputable scientist out there will say that, you know, to test any kind of a theory. So, you know, it's like most things, it's a shot in the dark. You could try it. Um, you may get results. You may not get results. It's really hard telling. I see. All right. Well, it was it was worth a shot. So I was just curious what you might have thought about that. But anyway, you know, I just I, want to I, say, well, go ahead. I'm glad I'm glad people are have open minds and are thinking about this, though, because that's what we need. Right. So anyway, I just want to say that uh, I've just actually just discovered your show not long ago, about last week, I think, and I've pretty much downloaded all the episodes in iTunes, and I'm listening to them. And I got to say, this is probably one of the best podcasts out there on dealing, the best dealing with this subject. So I want to say a uh, great job and, and I really appreciate what you guys are doing. And, uh, you know, I'll keep tuning in when it, all the time. Thank you. Well, we Pete. appreciate your thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks Pete. I was going to give him a hard time about, uh, where you're going to find a monkey, <laughs> but then he said all those nice comments. So I, I figured I probably shouldn't give him a hard time. Saved him. Yeah. He anyway, was a good guy. You know, and it's nice, yeah, like yeah. I said, that people are they're thinking, you know, and, and they're they're willing to toss out some ideas and, and try some different things. Well, so Sasquatch might get pissed and think you got my cousin George there and come and tear you <laughs> up. <laughs> <laughs> right. We like our heads on our bodies. Yeah. That's right, not yeah. chewed off. <laughs> no. That, that's no fun. Now that makes you wonder where that where that uh, saying comes, you know, getting your head bit off. Yeah. You know, and then if you brought a monkey out in the forest, how would you stop it from just running off? You know what I mean? Absolutely, unless you had it, you know, chained or something to a fixed object. Right. And I'm pretty sure they'd notice the chain, and they'd go, I see what you guys are doing over there. Yeah, yeah. there's something fishy here. I'm not coming out. Right? Yeah. What do I look like, an idiot? <laughs> <laughs> well, the last encounter, and then we'll wrap up the show, you guys, is kind of an interesting encounter. It's not quite as dark as the first two encounters. But it's kind of interesting. These people found, uh, recently discovered that Sasquatch is on their property. You know, when you hear what it does to her son, and the kid has really good, I mean, the kid really has a good detail on what he saw, what it did. I mean, he goes into a lot of details, more than I would say most people. But listen to this encounter, and it made me think of back in Yakult, 
on that farm, Will? Uh, yeah. Listen, listen to the details and tell me what you think. Before our sightings began, um, we moved in here June of 2013. Later that summer, beginning of fall, my husband took my two sons out. I've got um, three children. And he collected all the dead trees in the woods that he could find to build them a fort, like a tree pea. There were a lot of them. They were surprised at how many dead trees they found and broken trees that were just, you know, there for the taking. We would go for walks in the woods, and it was always kind of unnerving, I guess you could say, going through the woods. It just it always had that eerie presence to it, and I didn't know why. And we'll fast forward to this year. In June, I don't know when in June, in the middle of June, my kids came running inside and said that there was a weird dog in the yard. And come to find out, there was an incredibly manged coyote in my yard. And animal control came, and they tracked it into the woods. Um, there's an old logging trail. goes about a quarter mile before it dead ends. And um, they followed in, in the trail most of the way down and put it down, and they left it. Another month goes by, and it's the first week of July. And he didn't tell me, but my son came running in the house, explaining that there was a Bigfoot in the yard. And um, he was kind of shrugged off because my son has always talked about Bigfoot since he learned how to talk. He was just always interested in the subject, so it wasn't uncommon for him to say such things. A couple days later, I finally asked him why he kept talking about it so much because he wanted to take his tablet outside and get pictures. And um, he would just run out to the porch, and before he'd go down the two steps to the ground, he would stop and look around. And it was just kind of weird to me. So I asked him why, and he told me it was because he had seen Bigfoot in the yard. And I was like, what do you mean? (laughs) And uh, you could just tell looking in his eyes he was being sincere. So I made him take me to the location. Um, He was about 10 feet from our porch on the ground looking at bugs. And he heard something, and he looked up. He said it sounded like a large stomp. And he looked up, and there was a Sasquatch taking berries off of our blackberry bush, which was less than 200 feet away from him. And he watched it for a few seconds, and then he stood up and took three steps closer to it, and it still didn't notice him. And he took another step, and he said he stepped on a leaf or something, and it made a noise. And the Sasquatch turned and made eye contact with my son. And then my son dropped his jaw in shock, and it did the same. And then... After three, four seconds go by, it started walking at my son. And he said it was fast, but it was walking. So he turned around and ran to the house. And when he got up the steps and at the door, he turned around, and it was now closer to 70 feet away from him and still walking at him. So he ran in the house, tried telling his dad and brother, got a drink of water, and then ran back outside. And it was gone. And like I said, it was three days later, and when I I went out there, um, I took the camera with me, and there were no berries on that branch. I held up a, I made him go stand where he was when he saw it, and I held up a stick, and I made him stop me when um, it was high enough, and it was at least nine foot tall. I then realized that, I'm like, I can't see any other signs. I really want to believe you. I kind of mm-hmm. believe you, but it's hard to believe you. And then I realized that in the part of our yard where we had mowed was a walking trail. And it was that like a human kind of, but it had a much bigger footstep. And it went around a dead tree 
and disappeared into the woods instead of being on the normal path we take into the woods, which enters in the, the corner of our yard. And um, I was like, well, it, your evidence adds up, but it's hard to believe. Another month goes by, and on August 21st, um, unfortunately, my mother-in-law passed away in New York State. And on the 23rd of August was my husband's birthday. And I really wasn't able to sleep on the 23rd. And it was 6.30 in the morning. It was lightly raining. And I got up and turned the coffee pot on and then stepped onto my porch. And I took two steps. And behind my house, about 20 feet, 20 to 30 feet behind my house is where the tree line starts. And then it's thick woods from there. And from a tree in the tree line, something, it was just, I don't want to say scream or yell because that's not the right term. It inhaled and then exhaled while either stomping its foot or pounding on its chest. And it was incredibly loud. After it did it once, I said, what the hell was that? And I took two steps closer to it and I leaned on the railing and just stared at the location it was coming from. And I couldn't see anything. And we have a no-kill uh, dog shelter next door. The, the yard is completely fenced in. And all of the dogs just just went insane. It wasn't normal bark. It was they were after something. They were scared, all of them. And I kind of, I, I, <laughs> I went inside and I made my coffee and I just thought about it for a while. I realized everything my son said was true and that, there were Sasquatches in our backyard. It was a lot to take in on top of everything else I was dealing with at the time. You know, we were dealing with. And the next day, we had to, uh, in the middle of the night, we had to leave to go to New York for a week. And um, when we came back, my husband was sitting on the porch late at night, and he heard what he describes is like a chimp howling to another one on the other side of the hill. And the one that he heard yelling that was close was right behind the dog pen. So the next morning he was convinced. And that prompted us to go into the woods as a family unit. The next day, and my husband took a baseball bat with him, and he knocked on mm-hmm. some trees and things got pretty uneasy. <laughs> he just mm-hmm. broke a couple of the dead trees that were there, and I just wanted to go. I wanted to to get the kids back home. I wanted to go. And this was close to sunset. Finally, um, we turn around and head back. Like I said, the, mile, the trail's only about a quarter mile. And my husband decided to pile some sticks up in the walkway, and then he urinated on them. And on our way back... The trail bends when it parallels our our yard, and I noticed through the woods something big and black running over the ridge. I could only see the top part of it, and it was running fast, and it was running towards the backside of our house through the, the hills. And I told my husband, and my husband took off running after it, and all he saw was oh, wow. big tree. Tr- he's, he's silly. <laughs> big tree uh, swaying. <laughs> Um, like they had uh-huh. been knocked. Um, at that point, all three of my children were with me, and uh, my oldest son was in the back of the pack, and he turned around and saw one running away from us on the trail. 
He just said it looked like an incredibly large, hairy human, and it was running away. And as it was running, the trees were were swaying as if it was maybe grabbing them as it was going by? The ones my husband saw, yeah. He said it was like they had been knocked onto or something had definitely grabbed on while it was running by. Um, But the one my son saw was running in the other direction on the trail where there were no trees right there. It was a trail for a ways. And uh, the next week... The weekend, because it was on a weekend we did that, um, the BFRO came to our house. We walked through the woods, and we showed her multiple arches and just weird tree stu- structures we had found, because there's countless of them, countless, countless arches back there. And um, she confirmed that it definitely appeared that we had them. She showed us more signs that she had noticed that I hadn't noticed before. And then... We had a wonderful visit, and she left. And the following weekend, I went out with my neighbor. I told my next-door neighbor about it um, because I forgot to mention this, but in July, when my son had told me about it, I took the kids for a walk in the woods the next day to show them, you know, there's no Sasquatch out here. Um, We would be able to Mm -hmm. see signs. And we came across that coyote carcass that had been put down by animal control. And it had been ripped apart, which isn't a big deal because coyotes will rip things apart in that manner. But approximately 100 feet past that on the trail was another pile of dog skeletons, but this one had a collar. And that was really Mm. unsettling. And that was the day I was like, okay, I can't prove you. Q, he's not out here right now. Let's just go home. (laughs) And um, so I told my neighbor, because her dogs at night will just go insane sometimes, and then they'll just go silent and you'll just hear whimpering and knocks behind them and it it gets pretty intense behind our house sometimes and our yard's parallel. So I told my neighbor about it and I told her I think that it's disrupting your dogs and I had found these bones in the woods. So she believed me but the uh, other neighbor did not which is fine and she went into the woods with me and everything just went eerie silent and you could hear something on the other side of the hill, and it was just an un- uneasy walk. But she had a gun with her. I wasn't concerned at this point. And we cut through the woods, and we came to the trail where my husband had the pile of sticks. And right next to it was a tree, a small tree, probably 10 foot tall. And 50 inches up, it was completely snapped off and overhanging the walkway right by the pile and that was that was unsettling and it was completely intact it looked exactly how we left it the week before when the bfr researcher went through the woods with us amanda was was that dog skeleton that you found the one with the collar uh, was your neighbor missing a dog at all she was but it, it has nothing to do with that particular dog the one that she had missing okay. was literally okay. taken by humans but she didn't recognize the collar, and it, none were reported around here to be, have been missing, which is not uncommon for this area. There's dogs everywhere. But it was very strange right. to me to see the collar, you know, and especially next to the other pile of dog skeletons, just the way its bones were dispersed, and they were next to weird tree structures. They would, There's huge logs back there, huge logs 
that are just lifted up and placed into a Y of a tree, and they're everywhere. Mm -hmm. And near the dogs was quite a few of those. Was that tree snapped over the pile of sticks where your husband urinated? It was about the same pile. Yep, it was about six feet in front of it. And you had mentioned to me also that uh, you guys have seen them up in trees around the property. Yes, that that's um. After all of that, my husband and me started staying out here at night. We came to the conclusion that they needed to know we were in charge of our kids and our area, but we wanted to make mm-hmm. peace because obviously they're intelligent. Um, they can be incredibly dangerous, but we didn't have fear of them. You know, the day it walked at my son, at first I was petrified at the thought. Um then I realized if it wanted to, it could have easily, and it didn't. It didn't even run at him. It just made my son realize you don't walk towards them, <laughs> which he was trying to right. do. Every night they'll howl or yell. They mimic owls a lot. Dogs sometimes. You'll hear <laughs> motorcycles and ambulances and birds in the middle of the night coming oh, out of wow. the woods. And um, just howls and yells and knocks tree knocks like crazy and from three different areas typically and they'll get closer and closer my brother-in-law brought us some furniture a couple weeks ago and we put five new dressers on our porch and we all went for a walk in the woods right as it was getting dark and nothing really happened to us when we were in there but the next morning when I came out and I looked down um, there's a part of right below my porch where there's no grass where the water runs off the roof and uh, there was a big heel print in it and then I realized that there was another footprint as well like crushing my flowers that are right there and it was right next to our porch. The footprints I found the day my son told me of his sighting um, were bigger than my foot by a few inches but these ones were huge. I've actually got two casted footprints from my woods that are 19 and a half inches long by 8 inches wide. And they are wow. big. <laughs> I'm finding at least three to four different distinct sizes back there. Um, my neighbor, when I first told her about it, believed us but had to find out for her own. So she called some of her friends who are within a mile or two um, of here. Um one person she called, their woods would technically connect our woods in a roundabout way. You know, a mile or two isn't much <laughs> for wildlife. And he said that he had never admitted it before, but he had seen four of them in his field about a year ago. And uh my husband would stop during the way home, and he's, you know, walking up to people, asking them if they believe in Sasquatch and if they've seen Sasquatch and one night he got really lucky and four out of five people admitted it and most of them lived around here and had seen them. It turns out that there's actually quite a lot of activity, but every single one of them says we don't tell anybody because we don't want to be considered crazy. How old was your son when he had the sighting? Ten. Okay. He was ten, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of details he gives. It was picking berries, he describes facial expressions. Oh, yeah. It was an elder male. It was graying. It had patches of gray hair on its chest and right above its butt. And its, um, like, calves and feet were completely gray. He he actually is supposed to have a sketch drawn up of his sighting. And they're working on that right now. 
Well, no, I was going to say there's a ton of details that he gives in his sighting that if someone, you know, if a kid was going to make that up, there wouldn't be so many of those details in the story. Right. Specific details, you know. He might say, well, I saw one. It followed me. You know, he goes into describing what it's doing. He describes what its facial expressions are, kind of what it looks like, its behavior. I mean, there's so much stuff that he goes into for a 10-year-old. You know what I mean? Yeah, he was he was incredibly into it. And the thing is, like I said, he's always had a passion for the subject. And I've actually had to tone it down a bit. And like I said to him, I asked him, I said, would you walk up to a wolf in the yard? Well, no. Would you walk up to a bear in the yard? No. Then why would you walk up to a 10-foot tall Bigfoot? Huh. And Amanda, didn't he, in fact, mention that he saw the Bigfoot's genitalia? Yes. Yes, he did. And I always thought, you know, that was covered by hair is for a lot of, you know, animal bears, etc. But I guess Sasquatch and humans have gravity, um, you know. <laughs> they both have gravity. Mm-hmm. It was there. And he said he, he glanced at it for a minute and it made him feel uncomfortable, so he stopped. But it was it was kind of funny. I never yeah. really would have thought about that. I knew that the women's had breasts, you know, and stuff. But I just figured there was so much hair they wouldn't actually see it. But he did. He said that it had you very said, long fingernails. Oh, had a, oh, it had long fingernails? Yeah, which wow. I guess is unusual from what I'm told from the BFRO, but he, he sticks to the claim that it did have pretty long fingernails that he could see clearly. Kids are great. I mean, they, they will come up with some details and things that an adult would never pay attention to. I mean, he describes the genitalia. He describes what it looks like. He's talking about what it's doing. Uh, how it it almost like was herding him back to the house, like with the Yakult incident. That's a, that's exactly like that. Yeah, like it really wasn't trying to get him, but it was trying to get him to go away. Yeah, and like with Yakult, it was trying to keep the teenager there away from where the young ones were. Right. Yeah. And it and then the two little boys the Goldhammers had, uh, Nikki I think was two or three at the time, and his brother John was four or five, maybe six. And one day out of the blue, little John says, he points to the field and he says, did you see the big monkey and these two boys out there? Mm. And apparently these two little boys had seen these three Sasquatches numerous times. That's crazy. Yeah, what a brave kid. Yeah, that's crazy. He ran inside, then he went back out to check it out. I mean, that's yeah, that's a kid for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I'll play the last part of the interview. She talks about game cams. It's about a four-minute clip, and then we'll wrap it up. The vocalizations that you're hearing, is it more animalistic, or have you heard any of the gibber? I know you had mentioned, like, motorcycles and mimicking other sounds, but have you heard any sort of gibberish yet, or is it more animalistic or mimicking sounds? It's You'll hear little grunts, and it's hard to make out what's going on back there because it is far enough away where the loud noises are what we hear and those are more animalistic. You, we have heard kind of like chatter coming from the woods. We've heard what sounds like them thumping on their chest um, from the tree lines, but nothing clear enough to actually identify, I guess you could say, or mimic back. Anything that we've heard that could have been that would have been quieted enough where we were we don't want to say yes <laughs> because we hear stuff mm-hmm. 
and it's just just quiet enough, just quiet enough we don't hear it clearly. The howls, so there's no mistaking. <laughs> now, you mentioned to me that you can, in fact, uh, mimic the sounds. Would you be willing to to mimic some of the sounds that you've heard? I will. I can... I can mimic the, the inhale, exhale that I heard that morning. I'm going to do it much quieter and much um, shorter than I normally would, simply because I'm on my porch and <laughs> it's nighttime, and I don't I don't feel comfortable being too loud. Um, but it kind of reminded me of a gibbon at the zoo. It's just that high pitch, and it was like an in, the inhale was like a. Only it was loud and it was deep, and then it exhaled through its nose, and it was like a, <clears throat> a growl. But every time it would beat its chest, like this whistle would come out of the growl, and you could definitely tell it was inhaling with its mouth open and exhaling through its nose, and it was just <gasps> three times, and it was probably a good forty-five seconds long um, for it to do it oh. three times. It was long, yeah. and it loud and I I thought in that moment that it was stomping its chest because I could just feel it it was like my whole world was I don't know it was like I was inside of a drum but afterwards when I was really putting together everything I had just heard I really think it was hitting its chest because of the way it altered the noise and the growl and it turned to a whistle every time there was a thump and it was pretty constant it was like thump 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 you know, what other animal do you put that with? Do you know what I mean? Right, and that was yeah. exactly it. There, That's where it was no mistaking it. Like, I've heard bobcats. They can do some crazy, crazy noises. That wasn't no bobcat. Um, one thing I didn't mention was um, the BFRO researchers said the only thing you can do to keep them away is to put up a trail cam because they'll avoid them at all costs. They believe that because they see infrared, so it basically lights up the area, and they know better to even approach it. So the first few nights after the BFRO researcher was here, I instantly got a trail cam and put up out there. And uh, there was no activity behind our house whatsoever. So I decided to um, meet in the middle and put it down my yard a little ways, closer to the dogs, to see if I could like help them at night. Weeks go by, nothing. Finally, my neighbor asked, that she can borrow it and she admits that she's been putting corn in the woods for the deer and they wanted to put the trail cam on that pile um, which was great for me I didn't mind at all and I let her borrow it and they had it for a week and in that week the activity behind our house just picked up it was right behind our house constant and hmm. um, when she gave it back just about two weeks ago Everything tamed down behind her house. They no longer came to eat apples or anything like that, so we stopped even trying. Um, and I'm wondering if they're going after the corn. Um, I was on yeah, the phone with a, a friend of mine discussing it, and he has gone out camping and um, has a pleasurable experience doing such. And he was giving one of the howls that he has heard, and something behind my neighbor's dogs made them bark in the woods and then I heard crash boom and a tree falls over. <laughs> oh wow. That was there was no wind that night. That was a pretty calm night overall. And I want to thank Amanda for coming on and letting us interview her and, and talk about her her encounters.
having a an active area like that, you know, it reminds me of the Brown property. Yeah, it does. It reminds you a lot of the Brown property, doesn't it? Well, I think that's it for tonight. I want to thank everyone for coming to the chat room. I want to thank all of our listeners. And I want to thank Gord, John, and Amanda for allowing us to interview them. Until next week, everyone, have a great night. Yeah.
Today's sales leaders face a difficult task, selling the right products at the right time through the right channels. A new three-day program from Harvard Business School Executive Education addresses this problem directly. Join us on the Boston campus in August for Managing Sales Teams and Distribution Channels, where you will discover strategies that can lead to the best sales performance. Learn more by clicking the banner or visiting hbs.me sales. That's hbs.me sales.